you have to build up this mental tolerance and then you start thinking critically in, in stressful situations. And that's what I think is secret to success, you know, being able to think critically in stressful situations. And honestly, this is something I'm still working on. And I think it's a, it's a never ending process, but you know, that's, that's how you become a better entrepreneur. Just, just learning how to do things and how to deal with stress at the same time. Welcome to Start Yours, a podcast by Obolo about what it's like to start your own thing. I'm Alicia McCormack, and in this episode, I talk to an entrepreneur, Vlad Gassen, all about walking away from a very comfortable tech job and instead dedicating his time to creating an e-commerce empire. Now, Vlad is no stranger to taking risks. He decided to up and leave his home country of Ukraine and immigrate to the United States to follow his dream of launching his own business. He wanted to be his own boss. As in all good stories of starting a business, there were highs and lows. He has had his fair share of dropshipping failures. He broke up with the business partner, but then all of his successes came at once when he earned over $236,000 in just four months when he discovered a winning niche. As well as running multiple dropshipping stores, Vlad now runs a YouTube channel where he shares all the information that he's learned along the way absolutely for free. If you enjoy listening to Start Yours, then make sure you are subscribed and of course visit obelow.com to check out our blogs, courses and spend some time on our YouTube channel. All right, now let's head to my interview with Vlad. Okay, Vlad, tell me a little bit about you moving from Ukraine to United States and and how that all came to be and, and what was the goal when you when you took that leap? Yeah, you know, I always wanted to start my own business and uh, United States, this country just seems like it's probably one of the best places in the world where you can when you can start a business because, well, first of all, there are lots of entrepreneurs that, you know, build their own companies, they want to launch something and there is a huge community of people really passionate about what they do. You know, there is always something going on. You know, a lot of people mm-hmm. have meetups and, uh, you know, you can just find a lot of like-minded individuals that, you know, you can learn from. Also, people that you can help with your experience, and you know, it's just a good place to be in if you want to start a business. And uh, you know, obviously, you can start a business in a in a country like Australia or Europe. But to me, it seems like it's going to be a little bit harder because, well, first of all, let's say in Europe, uh, there are things like you know, language barriers and also mm-hmm. higher taxes. So to me, it, it doesn't seem impossible. It's just a little harder. So. I think you know moving to the United States was the right the right first step to starting a business for me. For sure. Yeah, and so when you got to the states, you you scored a really good I don't say score you earned with your skills a, a pretty tidy job at eBay. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people would sort of hear that story and go, well, this is this is the pinnacle now. You've, you're working with one of the biggest tech companies in the world, and um, that should be the end of it. But that really wasn't the path that you chose. Tell me a little bit about how you got that job, but then also how you ditched that job. Yeah, you know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and. This is actually, again, the reason why I moved to the United States. And in the beginning, I knew that, you know, United States, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a very expensive country, especially here in Silicon Valley. It's even more expensive and I live in Silicon mm. Valley right now. So like you can't just sit around and, you know, do business and you know, wait for it to become profitable. You, know, you need you need money to pay bills. Eventually, I landed on this um, gig at eBay. And yeah, for some people, it might seem like, you know, a dream job where, you know, you get paid well, you know, six figure salary. You know, a lot of perks. You have, uh, you know, free food, nice office, uh, you know, great laptop, big monitor, you know, all, all, all that stuff, right? Mm. But to me, it always felt like, you know, th- that something is missing. It's like, yeah, you know, I have this good job. 
you know, and being, being a software product manager is fine. You know, you're, you're working on a bunch of cool things. You're building different products. You work with engineers, designers, developers, and you just, you know, you just manage the process and it's, it's cool. It's fun. But, you know, I always had this feeling that something is missing and I want to be more entrepreneurial. I want to be my own boss because even though I had a lot of autonomy at eBay, I was allowed to, uh, you know, set my own path, you know, create a strategy for the products I built. Still, I had to report to my boss. You know, I had a lot of different responsibilities and, uh, you know, just it just didn't feel right for me. So that's the reason why I decided, you know what, now I saved up a lot of money. Well, not a lot of money, but enough money to quit my job and, you know, tr actually try to build a real business. And um, yeah, in the beginning, actually, I thought because I'm in Silicon Valley, it would make sense to build a software company because sure. uh, yeah, I already have experience building software. I know how to do it. I know how to, you know, I know how to hire people, how to uh, build software, how to launch it and all that stuff. I have, you know, I have a lot of experience doing it. So I thought, okay, maybe uh, I can find a partner. We can raise some money, you know, build a software company and be become one more uh, Silicon Valley success. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but unfortunately, it didn't go. Um, <laughs> it didn't go as I planned. <laughs> yeah, and uh, as I know, probably only one percent or less of all startups survive. Yeah. So this was also my case. But uh, the reason why my company didn't survive is because we had a um, you know we had a disagreement with my co-founder. Like as a result, I realized that we just have different mindsets that are not very compatible. You know, it was it just became increasingly harder and harder for us to work together. But so you had a falling out with your business partner or mm -hmm. didn't you just didn't align, I suppose. Are you working with anyone now? Because I think it's always interesting when you find someone to, to do business with. It's, you really, mm -hmm. it's like being in a romantic relationship, I suppose, as well. You want it to be, uh, yeah. you, know, you both want to bring your stuff to the table, but also it doesn't always work. Yeah, so I, I think finding a partner for a business is even harder than finding someone you want to marry. <laughs> I, I think personally, again, a lot of people might disagree with me. I think building a family is easier than building a business because you know, a lot of people build family, like they, you know, they already know what they want out of yeah. family. You know, for example, some people want to have kids, some you know, other people don't want to have kids, but like most of the time people know what they want out of their relationship. With business, it's a little harder. One thing that um, you know was especially hard for me is you know you know making sure that me and my co-founder making sure that we understand each other and then we can actually work together because you know this application that we wanted to build this software product is you know it's a, it's a baby and this baby like it's supposed to grow super fast and it's always changing mm -hmm. and there are so many things you need to think about and take care of you know you need to build. The application you need to make sure that people use it you need to take care of finance accounting you need to raise money you need to hire people and you need to make sure that these people uh, do the job that they were hired for so there are so many things that we as a team had to take care of and it was super stressful and and you know when there is too much stress this is when you see what like you see qualities that you you haven't seen before before in the person you you know you're working yeah, with. Yeah, it really brings it's, out people's it, people's best yeah. and worst, doesn't it? Really, yeah. Yeah, people act differently under pressure, and when you have too much pressure, you know, sometimes people crack, and mm. uh, that's when things and you know start falling apart. So that's that's pretty much what uh, you know what happened to us, and uh, kind of like uh, our our love uh, journey was very <laughs> short. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I suppose the stressful environment. It's like the couple's equivalent of going to IKEA and just seeing how insane your partner might actually be, uh, or how, how you cope with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's actually a good example. <laughs>
it's like when you yeah when, when you're picking a you know a, a new bed or something like that and then yeah you, you get into a quarrel uh with your partner yeah <laughs> it's exactly. kind of like There's that but yeah extra screws what happens yeah. then so yeah. you disbanded this partnership but then you were without a job so yeah. you started a, a print on demand store after you saw drop shipping being advertised you watched like a lot of people you watched a lot of videos and you did a course mm-hmm. tell me about printing on demand because it's something that i think a lot of people jump into and go i can make t-shirts i'll make a million dollars and then it's just a it's a yeah. bomb yeah yeah actually yeah so I, I was i was just sitting in my apartment thinking okay you know what, what should i do should i look for a new job should I start mm-hmm. a new business and you know I was I was kind of confused and thinking you know what what should I do and then I just you know I started scrolling through my feed you know just checking my uh, the updates the you know pictures that my friends post and then I see this ad you know that advertised the print on demand course and I think it was priced at a thousand bucks and back then I thought oh my god thousand bucks for a course like is is it even worth it you know who who's paying that kind of money for a course right? yeah but then I started doing a little bit more research about what print on demand is you know and how much money I can potentially make. And, you know, after going, uh, you know, back and forth a couple of times and you know, thinking, should I do it? Should, should I look for a job? What should I do? Right. I decided to commit and actually purchase that course. And, um, yeah, just, you know, just thinking about this now, I understand that, you know, that course wasn't the best course, but it gave me you know, the basic knowledge I needed to understand, you know, what this business is all about and how yeah. everything works, you know, how to run Facebook ads, how to create Shopify store. And also one thing that really helped me because, you know, I worked in software and I have a software engineering background. I was able to, you know, actually build some custom parts of the store myself. And, uh, you know, my stores didn't look like typical drop shipping or print on demand stores. You know, they, they, they were looking much nicer simply because I had enough skill to build whatever I want myself without hiring an engineer. Yeah. But another thing uh, about print on demand and the reason why it didn't work for me one thing that I thought again, I thought, okay, I can just create some funny cat or dog T-shirts and make <laughs> millions, as you said, and that's probably what everyone thinks when they start print on demand. Yeah. And yeah, the problem here is a lot of these print on demand niches they are overly saturated, and a lot of people who join these courses they do, you know, they they follow the same patterns, they have the same thought process, and that's what they think. Okay, I'll create a bunch of cat t-shirts dog t-shirts you know yeah football t-shirts or some t-shirts for doctors nurses whatever and like the number of, of these niches it's it's limited and you have a lot of people competing for attention of all these customers and another problem is you know simply because you're a you're in a such competitive niche a lot of these people who compete with you you know they already have better designs that you have they've been in this uh niche or market for much longer and, mm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just hard. Uh, yeah. Now I understand one thing is that print on demand can work and it, it's, it's a good business model. It's just that you need to understand how to catch, um, you know, the, how to catch these new popular trends. So for example, if you, let's say they're like, for example, something like coronavirus happened, right? For example, now, um, I think Facebook doesn't allow you to like make, make money on sensitive events. They don't allow that, but. Uh, in the beginning of March, I actually saw a lot of T-shirts. Like people started selling these T-shirts about coronavirus, you know, just saying some uh, you know, fun stuff like "I survived COVID" and you know stuff like that. But then later on, a lot of these ads actually got banned. But a lot mm. of people were able to make, uh, yeah, I assume hundreds of thousands of dollars in the beginning just yeah. because they caught this trend right away. I also yeah. saw another uh, store that was selling um, like koala T-shirts. 
you know, there was, um, now in Australia, you had a lot of these wildfires, you know, and some people think that yeah. the, these people actually monopolize, uh, you know, on sensitive events again, but I'm not sure if that's exactly what they did. But, you know, I just saw the engagement in these ads of people, you know, selling Koala t-shirts and you know, engagement was crazy. So I, I would assume that these people made a lot of money. And mm -hmm. on their website, they say that they donate 25% to charity. And personally, I don't know if it's true or not. I hope they yeah. actually did this. But, yeah. you know, matter of fact, they they probably made a lot of money just because they, they caught the trend. And, you know, there are also other trends like, you know, political trends like, for example, uh, you know, new, new president election or, you know, some local event, uh, you know, in one of the states in the United States. So if you, you know, if you know how to, you know, catch these trends and basically make money off of these trends, you know, you, you can be successful with print on demand. But if you just hire a designer who will, uh, you know, design a bunch of cat and dog t-shirts, it's probably not going to work out. You got to be, let's say, in order to succeed, you got to be smarter than 95% of the people you're competing with. That's the only way to win. It's an excellent point. And I also wanted to bring back to your Obelo blog interview that you did recently with my mm -hmm. lovely colleague Alana and in it you say it's not much about the product it's more about the way you market it and that really I think yeah. uh, is exactly exactly what you've been saying it's 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 finding the niche but it's also about how you actually put it out there and compete against multiple other companies that it might be doing a similar thing. How mm -hmm. did that then, How after the print-on-demand store didn't necessarily work as much as you wanted it to, how did that then lead you to finding your niche product? And, and you know, if you feel comfortable talking a bit, a bit about what it was or the sort of area it's in, that would also be great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so again, after trying print-on-demand, I actually started selling a bunch of other random products. You know, I tried... Oh. Um, posture correctors. I tried uh, selling inflatable mattresses and, you know, a bunch of other things. And like, I got some traction, but nothing really worked out. Mm. And then, uh, and then, you know, then I also started selling uh, this other product. And uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to tell what the product is, but I'll just sure. tell that this product uh, helps improve the quality of water. Okay. Yeah. So basically it's, um, it's an expensive product that helps improve quality of water. And in the beginning, when I found this product and I started selling it, I just broke even for quite a long time and I didn't understand how to make it profitable. And then I thought, okay, you know, maybe it's just not going to work. The math doesn't add up. So mm -hmm. I decided, you know what, you know, maybe I should try something else. And uh, yeah, I, I forgot about this product. And then I just, uh, you know, one day I saw that, um, you know, just accidentally on AliExpress that another supplier actually had similar product, but with, you know, much better pictures, right? And I decided, you know what, maybe, maybe I should, I should try, uh, you know, relaunching this product with better pictures and maybe I can mm -hmm. also work on my, you know, description, pricing and all that stuff. Oh, also, also one more thing, Be because I, uh, I was already selling this product, I had some pixel data on, uh, on my Facebook pixel. So basically when I relaunched the product, I already had data, uh, you know, that, that, that I used to, uh, you know, to launch my ads. So my targeting was much better and pixel this pixel helped Facebook algorithm to find customers much faster. And so your, your customers were, just to say this, to jump onto that, if the pixel, you know, if you've got the pre-existing pixel and you were marketing to a similar demographic then, the age and, and location? Yeah. Uh, the, way yep. I, the, way I, uh, the way I understand it, basically what Facebook pixel does, it collects uh, the usage data. Basically, mm -hmm. you put the pixel on your website and then a lot of people, and then you send traffic from, let's say, Facebook, Google, you know, maybe some other places to your website and then Facebook Pixel collects all this data because Facebook knows a lot about us. Facebook knows uh, you know, where we live, what our age is, what our behavior pat patterns are, what we buy. 
And based on that data, you know, on in the pixel, Facebook can help uh, you as a marketer target, you know, different people in you know in these uh, you know very specific audiences. So, for example, let's say when my, when my pixel is mature enough, when it has a lot of events, and let's say five thousand events, ten thousand events, I can start targeting very broad audiences. For example, like I can target anyone who's age forty plus only, and then this Facebook pixel power will help me find buyers pretty much anywhere because. Facebook already knows you know, where my buyers are, what they do, and like when is the best time to uh, target them. So you know, it's a it's a very smart uh, tool. This Pixel, uh, Facebook yeah. Pixel, and you know, it, it, it like I think this is what makes Facebook ads much more efficient than you know ads on any other platform. You know, just just having this Facebook Pixel and you know just training it time on time over and over yeah and giving it the time to to mm-hmm. do its job as well i think a lot of people turn their ads off after two days and freak out and give up but then it's really oh, not yeah. giving the the, the the pixel time to spread the love yeah that's exactly what i did in the beginning i would run ads for a couple of days freak out and turn everything off <laughs> <laughs> well it is hard when you're watching the money go and and you think oh my gosh i'm just hemorrhaging money there's nothing to do here but then also i suppose mm-hmm. yes you you might be spending money and not getting the sales but it, it can sometimes take five to seven days to actually get something cooking really and mm-hmm. and yeah it's a risk but i suppose that's part of the the deal of doing business you could have put the money out there and and go for it exactly and it, one uh, other part that you know beginner entrepreneurs underestimate is, you know, it's not just tough to build a business and, you know, by building a business, I mean, you know, you need to build a website, you need to find customers. It's just, it's really tough to, you know, manage your business in your own head psychologically, because again, if you freak out when you, let's say when you lost $100 a day and you freak out, Mm. well, it's like, how how can you grow this into, you know, a big company into e-commerce brand if you freak out about losing $100 a day? Yeah, it's just not possible. Exactly. So yeah, you have to build up this mental tolerance and, uh, you know, usually you build it up over time and then you start thinking critically in, in stressful situation. And that's, that's what I think is secret to success, you know, being able to think critically in stressful situations. And honestly, this is something I'm still working on. And I think it's a, it's a never ending process, but you know, that's, that's how you become a better entrepreneur. Just, just learning how to do things and how to deal with stress at the same time. Yeah, totally. Tell me a little bit more about how you used these experiences of running these sort of other stores that weren't necessarily as profitable as you'd hope, but that were certainly t- making some profit to mm-hmm. then move into the store that really, really went off. Like you did over $200,000 in sales. This is later last year. Tell yeah. me about how that came to be and also how you really took the experiences from these other stores and made it work with this this product. Yeah. So one thing I realized after a couple months of uh, uh, you know, being in this business is there are there are two types of dropshippers. First type is people who would uh, just quickly put together a website, try to sell something. You know, if and if after two to three days it doesn't work out, they'll um, start testing another product. And they keep testing hundreds uh, you know, of products almost every day. You know, they constantly test new products and just you know they want to see what you know what's going to take off. And honestly, this approach actually works. You just got to build uh, a very good system for testing products. Right. Mm. And be prepared for cases like when you when you test 10 products in a row and nothing works and then you have to constantly find new products, put them on the website, create pages. You know, it, it's a it's a very time consuming process. Yeah. And there is another type of dropshippers. So these people, they basically what they do, they force products into winners. And, you know, th- this is what dropshippers say, you know, oh, my product is a winner, which uh, means that, you know, my product is selling well. The way you force products into winners is 
basically you make a lot of different improvements. And these improvements can mean, you know, one day you'll think about pricing, you know, you'll t experiment with different pricing models, then you'll uh, improve your pictures. Next day you will, uh, you know, write better testimonials. You will uh, talk to your customer, get some feedback on a product. Then you'll improve your description. You know, then maybe you'll uh, create some bundles and upsells, things like that. So basically a bunch of different compounding improvements. And this is, this is how, you know, a mediocre product that uh, you know, nobody even thought about selling can become a winner. And that's what actually a lot of big brands do. Like for example, you, you probably heard about brands like, you know, High Smile, uh, Snow Teeth that sell these, um, you know, teeth whitening products. Yeah. Like I wouldn't imagine them, you know, testing uh, this uh, teeth uh, whitening product that they have for two days and then saying, oh, well, you know, we didn't get any sales. Let's wrap it up and try something else, right? They're like, no, no one's going to do it. What they do instead, they test different ad angles. They test different images, you know, descriptions, and they, they pretty much test the hell out of the product. And then they yeah. try, you know, different upsells, cross-sells, all that stuff. And at the end, it actually ends up working because they just focus all of their attention on making sure that this product actually wins. That's, you know, that's how you build a real brand. You don't just, you know, try one product, give up and try something else. You need to do everything in your power to force this product into a winner. And I personally think, uh, you know, most of the products can be forced into winners. If you just, you know, if you understand what the product is all about, if you understand the customer and uh, if you understand how to make these, you know, little compounding improvements step, step by step. So this this is high. Also, this is a great path to building a real brand because honestly, I uh, you know I believe in dropshipping. I think it's a good business model. But uh, if you want to build a real business, a real brand, you got to think about you know how you move from dropshipping to uh, you know building the actual brand. How to find a good manufacturer, you know, and how to keep selling the same product you know month over month, you know year over year, and how to, yeah. how to keep innovating. Yeah. Yeah, because you write the fatigue. I think with some products, they people can ride the wave. But I suppose you've got to know when it's not working anymore, and you've either got to move on to something else, or as you said, yeah. build the brand and white label things going to manuf manufacturing. Yeah, it's it's actually another problem. Yeah, it's actually a, a fun issue that you just brought up. A lot of people who don't give up right away, what they do, they'll uh, you know they'll do all these compounding improvements, you know, all these little things, and then they'll run this product for probably two to three months and then uh, their audiences get fatigued, their uh, ads get fatigued and they think, okay, well, you know, uh, I pretty much squeezed everything I could out of this product. Let's move on. Right. But again, this is not what big brands do. You know, like if you look at Coca-Cola or maybe, maybe Coca-Cola is not the best example, but if you look at them, you know, they've been selling Coca-Cola for, for years, what they do, they just keep innovating. You know, they keep changing recipe. They work on their marketing. Um, you know, they invest a lot of money into branding, into just, uh, you know, understanding the user behavior and all that stuff. They do a lot of research and obviously, you know, small business owners don't have, uh, you know, that much budget to invest in research and, and marketing, but it's just, um, it's just the concept that we can use in our own businesses to make sure that, uh, you know, we can succeed because again, you, you don't want to just give up on the product when you think that you exhausted all the possibilities. And your ads are no longer working. You know, maybe you can try uh, different ad angles. Maybe you can change your product uh, images. Maybe you can find another supplier that offers you know better, uh, higher quality version of the same product. There are so many things you can do, and you know you can just keep running one product almost indefinitely. It, it just just if you know uh, you know how to you know 
how to keep innovating and how to keep improving your ads, uh, your product pages, description, all, and all that. It's a never-ending process. You, you, you sort of rode that wave and the, you, you've made the money and then it, it sounds like the, the product that you were doing really well with took mm-hmm. a bit of a dip. Um, mm-hmm. Was that because of was, was the circumstances? Was it the time of year without giving anything away about the product? Like what do you think caused that? Was it just not fashionable mm-hmm. anymore? And like what did you do after that? Like how did you then come to the conclusion that you, it was time to move on? Yeah, with this product, what actually happened, found a good factory um, that manufactured this product. And unfortunately, this was the only factory in China who had mm-hmm. this type of product. Wow. Again, again I actually uh, found a few other factories that had similar products but the quality just wasn't that good. And, you know, when I, when I tried switching the product and, uh, you know, my customers actually purchased uh, the product that was sent from a different factory, I got, uh, you know, very different feedback. And all the customers actually complained that the product, uh, you know, doesn't work as expected or the quality of the materials, you know, it, it just isn't good. So I was pretty much tied to my supplier. And then one day something happened and, uh, you know, this supplier said that, that they're not gonna be manufacturing this product anymore and uh that's that's basically how it oh. all ended yeah so yeah also um yeah one thing that the audience can learn is you know if you start selling a product you know make sure you have backup suppliers and uh, sure. you don't want to run in the, in the situation where you when you're basically dependent on one factory because they have that's such a bummer for you though vlad to have that yeah. success and then them to go nope we're stopping now forget it we're packing yeah, up yeah. the tools. I, yeah, actually, I anticipated that it might happen, but I, I just thought that, you know, uh, maybe it's going to be okay. Maybe it will actually never happen, but I, an- yeah. I anticipated that it can happen. And what I did, actually, you know, when I worked with other factories, I actually, uh, you know, asked them if they can manufacture uh, the same type of product that uh, this other factory had. But uh, for a lot of different reasons, they say they said that they can because they're not sure if there's going to be a demand. You know, they don't yeah. have uh, these specific materials or, uh, you know, the price wasn't right. You know, there are there are so many different things and, uh, you know, so many different reasons you know, of uh, why they couldn't manufacture this specific product. Right. Yeah. And I actually thought that I can build this into a real brand and actually thought about white labeling it and then maybe later working with my manufacturer to make some product improvements. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, they decided to stop the production. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much... Um, how everything ended with that store. So now, I mean, that's a real shame, but now yeah. you have this 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 little template, I suppose, to be able mm-hmm. to roll out the same or a similar sort of product in the same category, I suppose, to then run it all again. Is that something that interests you or are you ready for something new? Yeah, actually, this is what I uh, continue to do, just using, you know, I just I keep using my framework to launch other products. Mm-hmm. But right now I'm also testing... Um, one general store that works pretty well uh, because one thing I realized, you know, some products uh, like like that product I had, they they require a lot of branding. If you want to sell an expensive product, you need to work on your branding and yeah. really conveying the benefits of your product. But if you're selling cheaper products that uh, that are more like impulse purchases, you, you you know you don't need to have a big cool brand. Again, you just got to know what's you know what's trending right now and what you can sell based on these trends and. You know, that's um, the path I decided to take and explore. And again, at this point, I think I'm kind of like in between, um, you know, thinking about building this new brand and, you know, testing uh, a bunch of different products on a general store. And again, uh, if you look at YouTube, a lot of people say general stores don't work or, you know, one product stores don't work anymore. 
and I think it's all false. You know, general stores yeah. work, product stores work, niche stores work. You just got to know what you're doing and you got to know how to market the products that you have on your store. As simple as that. Yeah, I agree. We've, I've interviewed lots of people that have had huge successes with general stores, but you're right. It's all about building pages that don't look scammy, pages that have, you know, really nice branding and, and mm -hmm. fonts and, and logos and things that actually look legit and also just taking the time to market and run those ads. You have a series of YouTube videos. You've got your own channel, which I think is really good to plug here because you give away lots of excellent advice, especially in regards to the Facebook marketing and looking at drop shipping as well and what you've done. Tell us where we can find you and a little bit more about how people can get in touch if they're uh, interested. Yeah, you can just uh, go to YouTube and type uh, Dan Vlad in YouTube search and my channel mm -hmm. will pop up. And uh, you can do the same on Instagram. Yeah, that's that's how you find me. It's excellent. Yeah, and good on you for, for sharing all this information because I think, as you said, there's lots of stuff out there that's not necessarily helping people. It's probably hindering their success in this area. So it's yeah. great. And uh, the reason why I decided to upload all these videos because I know how hard it is for beginners to, mm. to start their own business, right? And I just decided to... Know, create these videos to help people I know launch their own businesses without going through all the struggle that I, I went through and I know a yeah. lot of people actually you know they don't give this information for free they charge money but I decided you know what I don't think this is something that people should pay for let's say if I wanted to build a course I would probably build something you know like a, like an advanced mentorship where I actually coach people and help them you know scale the stores that they already have but if they just want to go from uh, let's say zero to five hundred dollars a day I think this type of information should be available for free. Well, that's great. I'm sure people, zero to 500 bucks a day is pretty good. And I'm not sure a lot of people will be stoked to be making that sort of money. So uh, it's yeah. great. And of course, you can go to uh, obelo.com and read the blog that is all about your experience. I will link to that in today's show notes and also in the, the podcast notes, wherever you are listening to this this podcast. Vlad, thank you so much for your time. It was great to chat and learn more about your business and congratulations on your success. Thank you. It was great chatting with you as well. Thanks again for listening to Start Yours. If you have a question that you would like answered or perhaps you've got a theme or a topic that you'd like us to cover, then get in touch. Podcast at obelo.com. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you soon.